It's good to be with you guys today. If I haven't met you before, my name is Tim, and um, I'm going to share yeah for about 20 to 30 minutes or so um, a message just from the Bible. But the context we're in at the moment is um, a series we started last week, going through the vision um, or the vision statement for the the church. And we had a great week last week. We had a combined service. We had both services in together, and it was just an awesome time just to be one church and have food and play games. And, and I just did a brief overview of this um, vision statement last week. Um, and what we're going to do now is for the next today and the next four weeks, just sort of take each part. It's got about five parts and break it down and just unpack it a bit more. Um, but the vision is quite broad. It's not like really concrete. It's not like we want a bigger building or we want this many people or something like that. It's, it's quite broad. Um, but the, the benefit of that is that it's the idea is it, it's the purpose that underlies everything that we do. That Rivers is not a church or a community where we're like super organized and everything goes in the one direction and everything's like this machine with all the parts. It's not really like that. We're more like a garden that's a bit messy. <laughs> and it's got a whole lot of different things happening and people taking initiative with things and being empowered and released, and it's awesome. But the downside of that is sometimes it can all be going off in all different directions and people aren't together. And what we want is to keep that but have it unified and have a purpose that comes underneath it all, and it's the why, and it's everything as actually heading in the same direction but without having to be really centralized. So the vision is to see the kingdom of God realized by being a growing family of devoted followers of Jesus who love him wholeheartedly and live as his people in the world. And I kind of summarized this in a brief overview last week. It's that we're here for God's kingdom, but God wants to bring his kingdom through the church, through being a family. And the family, the church, is characterized by people who are disciples, who love and worship him, and who are on mission in the world. And so we want everything to be centered around three goals, which is knowing God, and loving him wholeheartedly, being a people who worship and know and love God, growing as devoted followers of Jesus together, that we're in community, but the community is centered around growing and following Jesus, and going and living as his people in the world, that we actually live representing Jesus, bearing witness to Jesus, sharing, sharing with people about Jesus in, in our workplaces, in our lives, um, in our community, so we center everything around these three. We sort of said sometimes it feels like, oh, we just need one of them, or they get pitted against each other. It's like, no, we need all three, and they're all centered on God. But today what we're going to do is basically just start with this idea. What does it mean to see the kingdom of God realized? Because it's kind of a strange thing. You might have even noticed it today. A lot of the songs we're singing is about kingdom. That psalm was all about God as king and how good it is that God is king. Uh, but it's a bit, it's a bit strange, um, this idea of kingdom. Uh, but this is actually one of the main things Jesus talked about. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus again and again is talking about the kingdom of God. It's like his favorite topic. It just comes up all the time. And it's actually when he started to preach, this was his message, was the message of the kingdom. It says this in Mark 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So Jesus is sharing good news. The good news is the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That this was Jesus' good news message. And we said last week that Jesus then says to his followers, as the Father sent me, I send you. And Jesus' goal is that then we have the spirit and this message and this good news continues to spread out into the world. So we continue to carry this message of the kingdom. The problem for us, though, is we don't really know what it's like to be in a kingdom because we live in a democracy. 
And we probably don't really like kings very much because we live in a democracy. Mark says, says this, the gospel proclaims that Jesus is king. The great problem is that we as good 21st century citizens of democracy don't like kings. We've kind of been taught, actually, no, kings, that, that sounds bad. Giving someone full authority to do everything and anything and make all the decisions, that sounds bad. Like, we want majority rule, we want voting, uh, we want freedom, like... And, and the idea of a kingdom, it just, it, it's strange. But for other people in different cultures and even places in the world, there still are kingdoms. And the idea of being in a kingdom of God probably makes more sense. But, but for us, it's kind of a real different way of thinking of what does it mean to have a king? What does it mean to be in a kingdom? And actually, how can that be good news? Not something like, oh, actually, we'd prefer that not to be the case. How can that actually really be good news? Because we kind of, the normally, the only time we really think about kings maybe is like if you're watching Lord of the Rings or if there's like a royal wedding or something like that and it's like, it's kind of nice as a story or it's nice uh, as something to watch if people get dressed up. But the idea of someone having authority and rule and reign, that, that kind of doesn't sound great. Like that sort of sounds foreign or, or maybe, maybe like, oh, I don't know about that. And partly that's because... We live in a story, and we live in a story, I guess, of our culture and Australia's story and, and Western culture's story, and that story is a lot about the individual and being a free individual, um, that we can live our own life, and the, the main thing in life is that we're free and that the best thing to have in life is just unlimited freedom and no boundaries at all, that we can actually be whoever we want to be. We're kind of at the center of the story. We live in a story that says, therefore, the most free system and a, like a democratic system, giving the people rule, that's the best system. So, so we live in a culture and a story, which is why we have certain values that might conflict with the values of a king and a kingdom. But we live in that story. So we live in a story of Australia and, and Western culture. But we are to be people who don't live primarily in that story, but actually live in the story of Scripture. That actually... The Bible's a story, and it's not primarily about us. It's primarily about God, that God is actually the central character. Jesus is the central character. He's at work in the world. He has a story, and actually, we find our place in his story. Actually, we find who we are when we recognize who he is and what he's doing, because actually, the story is still going, and we're, we're a part of it. We're a part of the church. We're a part of God, what God's doing in the world. And actually, we need to understand, yes, our culture story, but we need to understand the biblical story. And when we live in that, this idea of a king and the kingdom coming starts to make more sense. So what I want to do is, is give you a really brief overview. We're going to come back and just track through the story of the Bible, particularly through this theme of king and kingdom. There's a major theme. And it's, and it's a, a key way to read scripture that we can then come to Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God is here and actually say, yeah, that's really good news. So I'm going to give you a, quick, a brief overview. Um, I'm going to use a, a sort of format or structure um, by a, a guy named Scott McKnight. He, he, this is the way he, he says one way we can read the Bible. It's, it's plan A, plan B, and plan A revised. Three parts, nice and simple. Uh, so I might, I might just pray, and then I'm going to try and go quick and just give a big overview. So, Father, we just thank you, yeah, that you are our king. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that we can gather and, and be reminded of who you are. And, 
Lord, would you just realign our hearts and minds to your reality and to your story and just, yeah, shift our way of thinking that we would live with you and, and through you and in your story and, yeah, that we would be people who live to see your kingdom realized here, God. So just lead us now as we look at your word and speak to us by your spirit. And just pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so plan A, plan B, plan A revised, tracking the theme of king and kingdom. So we start right at the back of the, right at the start of the story of the Bible. It's about God as creator, God as king. God is the one who creates everything out of nothing. So he rules. He has all authority. He is the most powerful, all-powerful being. And then he creates humans in his image. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this when you've read um, Genesis. But God is king. He's creator. But then he has a people who rule under him. Plan A is actually that God rules but that people, humans, rule the earth under God. Actually, it says this in Genesis 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, wild animals, all the creatures. God rules as king, but he creates humans to rule the earth. In a sense, he creates humans as kings and queens to have dominion over the animals, to cultivate the creation, to be fruitful, to multiply. And God rules, but he delegates authority and delegates rule to humanity. And actually, they rule under God. But the story of the Bible is that very quickly, they decided they didn't want that. They decided they didn't like being ruled by a king. And actually, instead of ruling under God, wanted to rule as God, wanted to rule, have their own rule rather than be sub-rulers. This is what Scott McKnight says, what are the image bearers to do? They are appointed to rule for God, under God. The fall is from this task. That is, Adam and Eve decide they want to rule like God instead of ruling under God, which means Adam and Eve are a surplus. They don't want to sit under God's authority as king. They give in to the temptation to be like God, to reject his authority and want to establish their own. He says the story of sin in the Bible is the story of God's elect people wanting to be God-like instead of godly, of ruling instead of sub-ruling and being ruled. So right from the start, the ideal plan A is that God is king and his people are ruling under him, but they reject that, his rule, and want to establish their own. But God bears with humanity and he shows them grace even though they have to leave the garden. And he doesn't give up on plan A. He actually creates a people, the people who he creates through Abraham. So God comes to Abraham and instead of it being over all humanity, he picks one family. And again, it's this idea that God is king and God will rule through Abraham and his people. It says this in Genesis 12. God's talking to Abraham, go from your country and your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God, again, picks a people and the idea is that they represent him. In some ways, they're image bearing, they're ruling, they're, they're blessing. God's doing his work in the world through Abraham and his family. In Exodus it says, again, of the people of Israel, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God creates this people that he would rule through as they trust and follow him. This is plan A. God is king with his people ruling under him. And this keeps going for a while and Israel grows into a nation and they go into the promised land. But then things go bad. As you might know the story in Samuel. When Samuel is leading Israel and then it gets to a situation where Israel decide they don't want God as king. They want their own king. It says this in 1 Samuel 8. So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So they haven't had a king up to this point. God has been their king. They've been his people ruling under him. But they get to a point where they say, we want our own king. And God responds to Samuel. He says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So this was not God's plan, that there would be a human king. This was Israel's idea to ask for a human king. And God accommodates it. He honors their requests. He gives them a human king, but he warns them that this human king is a bad idea. Like a human king is going to dominate, is going to use their power for themselves, is going to milk it for all they can get, is going to tax like crazy. It's not going to go well for Israel. And pretty quickly that happens. If Saul it doesn't go well, then David is the good king, the king who honors God. David becomes a, like a, a symbol and the ideal king, a king who actually trusts God and honors him and God can rule through David. But then quickly, David's descendants, one after another, they reject God as king. They don't want to rule under him. They want to rule as king. They don't want to follow him. They go and worship other gods. They don't want to care for the poor. They don't want to do justice. They don't want to create this world that reflects God's goodness. They just want to do whatever works for them and keeps them in power and keeps them with authority. And things just go bad. And the story of Israel is that one after another, the kings reject God. The, the, the whole, this, this people that are supposed to represent his rule end up representing something that doesn't look at all like God and God has to come in judgment. And a nation who has had God as king, who's God's people, ends up being sent out of their land into another kingdom, into the kingdom of Babylon. They're under the authority of a, a foreign king and they have to live there. And they're confused and they're frustrated. And then eventually they come back from exile into the promised land, but they're still under other rulers. God is not king. And this leads all the way up till Jesus' time. There's something wrong. It's not, it's not right. There's other rulers. They're under Roman rule. They, they long for the day when God was king, when God was in charge, when God reigned. They actually start to realize, actually, this was not a good idea, having human kings. We want God to be king. And in this time, there's this longing for a return. McKnight says again here, when would it end, this idea of exile, or this, this, how the story's gone bad, when God once again sat on the throne and ruled the land, when God comes as king and rescues them and sets up his kingdom and his rule. 
And we see in the Old Testament, there's all these stories and prophecies and promises that actually there's a king coming. There's someone coming that will do that. There's someone coming like David who will rule, who will be established, who will rescue Israel. There's promises. One in Isaiah looks like this, speaking of this, this king of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there's this looking for a king like David, but even better than David, a king like David that will last forever, that will rule right, that will reflect and honor God's rule and submit to God, that this becomes the longing of Israel. And this is the case around the time that Jesus comes. That Israel, God's people, who are supposed to be ruled by God as king, are waiting for this king. And there's even been people who sort of say, like, they're it. Like, they're going to come, and it kind of falls flat. And, and you can imagine this situation. Like, they're under Roman rule, but they're waiting for someone to come and overthrow and come with power and come and deliver them. So then Jesus rocks up when people are waiting and longing for this. And he comes and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. After all of that story, Jesus comes to this people who are waiting and longing and confused. And he says, in me right now, the kingdom of God has come. God is going to rule Israel again. And more than that, even the whole world. And he calls them to repent in the sense of change their mind, change their thinking, and start to trust and follow Jesus. Scott McKnight says it this way, Plan A was God ruling the world through Israel. Plan B was ideally David and then also an Israelite king ruling. And usually not very well because humans don't do God right. Under Jesus, Plan A takes on a new form. How so? God returns to plan A because in Jesus, God now rules once again. They wanted a human king. God gives them one. It doesn't go right. And then Jesus, in a sense, God himself comes as a human king to establish his rule over Israel and over the world. Plan A revises God alone is king again in and through Jesus. This is the good news that Jesus comes to, to preach. And the reason it's good news is because it's in the context of this whole story of Israel, and he's coming to Israel. And we kind of might hear the story, and we're kind of like, yeah, but, but how is that relevant to us? And, and the point is, this is, this is Jesus' story. And we start with that, and then we find our place in that, that he's actually the long-awaited king and Lord, not just of Israel, but over all the earth. And that actually, one day that his kingdom reign will come over the whole world. It says this at the end of, in Revelation. It says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. That the future history, the, the hope and the trajectory of the world is one day that Jesus will be the one who reigns over everything, and everything is in accordance with his will, and everything is right and good and just. And actually, that's the story of the world and we find our place in that as we come to trust and follow him. So God alone is king again in and through Jesus. But again, we kind of might think that still maybe it doesn't feel great. Like it's still like a king and authority. 
But the thing about Jesus and when he comes announcing this kingdom and you read through the Gospels about what he's like, it's, a, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a, it's a different kingdom. It's a kingdom that reflects God and God's love and justice and grace. It's a kingdom that's not a kingdom that oppresses and rules through power and authority. It's not a, not a kingdom with a throne that's just far away. It's a king who has a throne but then comes to earth as a baby and actually enters the experience of his people. He's not a king that's just distant, that kind of sits back, but he actually comes close, even being born in obscurity, not even in a house, let alone a throne, uh, let alone a palace. We might think of kings as just sort of dressed up and, and distant, but when Jesus is crowned as king, it's a crown of thorns. He goes to the cross and is crowned with thorns. He's the king who's predicted in Isaiah that there would be a king who would suffer for his people. And he's not a king that just sits on his throne up in heaven far away, but his throne is a cross. He's actually lifted up and dies on behalf of his people. You might think we don't like an authority that's, that's above us, but Jesus' authority and Jesus' power is the power of love that actually comes under us. It's the love that washes our feet. It's the love that goes to the cross. It's the love that takes our place. And he still calls us to give up authority and submit to him, but it's submitting to his love and to his rule of love and goodness and grace. Mark says, says it this way, we are people who give up our autonomy not to unjust rulers and authorities, but to the one true king the one good king, the king who has taken all our rebellion, our sin, our injustice upon himself. We lay our authority and autonomy down at the feet of the king with scars. That, that, that's actually the person who rules the world. Is Jesus the king who would actually die in our place? God rules, but God rules through love. And we find our place in life, in his kingdom, as we trust and submit to him, as we recognize that he is king, we put our faith in him and we choose to trust him and live with him, with him at the center. And that, that, that he's that, that good king, that actually if he's in charge, he's worthy of being in charge because he is God and because he's a God of love and grace and mercy. So the vision is to see his kingdom realized. Jesus' rule and reign, because he is at the right hand of God. He rose from the dead. He's, he's exalted. He's the center of everything. And the church exists that we would see his kingdom realized. We would see people come to know Jesus and trust and live with him. And this is not just like the benefits of the kingdom. It's not we just want to see justice and goodness and good things happen in the world. Because lo lots of people want that. Even our society in some ways wants good things to happen in the world. And in, in some ways it's like having the kingdom benefits without the king. Uh, again, Mark says it this way about post-Christianity. In some ways our cultures move past Christianity and there's a desire for the kingdom without the king. We want love and we want justice and we want goodness, but we don't want to submit to an authority like Jesus. But actually, we, don't want to just, we want to see love and justice and rightness and beauty and goodness, but for him. Not just so we can build something, 
not just to improve the world, but it's actually for God. It's actually God's kingdom. In the same way as we pray in, in the Lord's Prayer, we're called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's actually we submit to you, God, your kingdom, your reign, would, would your will be done on earth. Actually, that's how we see the kingdom realized as we trust and submit to him. So we want to see the kingdom of God realized and it's by being a growing family. I'm going to start to talk about that next week, that a big part of what God wants to do is actually do that through the church, through a people who recognize Jesus as king and trust and submit to him, that actually that's how we see it realized. We're going to come to, to communion and, and respond um, to this, this story. And actually, the idea is in a sense that we do this every week, and every week we come back and relive the story of Jesus, and we enter into it, and we say, actually, this is the true story. Actually, this is what life's about, and, and we partake in it. And again, we kind of think, well, it's still such a mind shift, because we might still sort of think, well, actually, it sounds like good news to just be able to do whatever we want. It sounds like good news to be our own people, and that, that's, that's, what the, that's what the culture sort of says. Good news to submit to a king may not sound like good news. But actually, when we think about it, being at the center of everything, having unlimited freedom, needing to create our own identity, needing to protect ourselves constantly, needing to, protect our, needing to provide for ourselves constantly, trying to be your own king or your own god, is actually exhausting. It's actually really tiring. It actually doesn't work very well. It's actually not good news. And if we look at our culture and our world, it actually doesn't work. <laughs> what we need is a king, but a good king. What we need is someone with authority and power who uses it right, who can protect and defend, and, and someone in whom we serve and find our meaning and purpose in him. It's actually good news that Jesus is at the center. It's actually good news that he's the king and we get to submit to him and trust in him. It's actually good news that his way is the right way and we, we, give, we let go of our way and we trust in him and believe in him because he's shown that he's good and trustworthy. So as we come to communion, it's a time to re-enter this story of Jesus as king, a king who would die for us. And it's, and it's to recenter ourselves in submission to him, to trust in him, to, to follow him afresh. And so if you, if you believe in him, if you, if you trust him, if you believe his story, we take this together. And so maybe we could get some people to help um, distribute the communion. I'm going to pray and then let's take together. Yeah, God, we just thank you that you are God and King and you are so good, Lord. You are not what we would think, that, that you would wear a crown of thorns, that you would go to the cross, that you rule by the power of your love and your grace and you've come to us and revealed to us your kingdom and your goodness. And we just ask Jesus even this morning as we... Um, take the biscuit and the juice and remember your body and your blood. Uh, would you reveal yourself to us afresh? Would you touch our hearts with your love? Would you give us an ability to trust you and submit to you and rest in you and find joy and peace in your love? And we just offer ourselves to you afresh, God, for your kingdom, 
that we would be a place that exists to see your will done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and that you would be honored, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted high as the one who is worthy over all. Uh, So just be with us and lead us in this time by your spirit, we pray. Amen.